Hi, you're listening to A Grey Matter, the neuroscience podcast from the Queensland Brain Institute at the University of Queensland. I'm Sally Ann Atkinson, I'm chair of the QBI's advisory board, and I'm your guest host for this episode. At one point or another, we've all experienced stress. It may have been in the form of a work deadline, an upcoming exam, or perhaps a moving house, one of the most stressful things of all. But when anxious feelings persist beyond a stressful situation, it may not be just a passing worry. Anxiety is Australia's most common mental condition. On average, one in four people will experience it at some stage in their life. In this episode, I speak to Mia Friedman, journalist, author, founder of lifestyle website Mamma Mia. Mia is no stranger to stress. She runs a successful business with more than 100 employees. She hosts her own podcast and she's married with three kids. But Mia has also written very honestly about her experience with generalized anxiety disorder in her latest book, Work Strife Balance. It's interesting to me particularly because I'm in my 70s and in my book, which was called No Job for a Woman, published by University of Queensland Press, I talk about the stress and anxiety that I went through, of course, as normal part of living. But anxiety in those days, and I'm talking about, you know, 40 years ago, was never recognised as a mental disorder and, and now it actually is. So we talked about how she manages her anxiety while running a successful business and raising her children, and the research that QBI scientists are doing in an area of the brain called the amygdala, which is where anxiety disorders tend to develop. So how to introduce Mia Friedman. Well, she is so many things, as I've already said. She's the co-founder, the creative director of the uh, Mamma Mia Women's Network, which is Australia's largest digital media company. Um, MWN began as a personal blog in Mia's lounge room in 2007, but now it reaches 4 million women per month, with offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and New York. And in addition to the websites Mamma Mia and Spring Street, uh, MWN also has the women's largest podcast network, with eight shows reaching millions of women. So I think it's fair to say that Mayor Friedman is a woman of enormous influence. She's also the uh, author of three books. She's formerly a magazine editor and a newspaper columnist. She was named as one of Australia's 100 most influential women by the Financial Review and is a former chair of the federal government's Body Image Advisory Board. She's been a passionate campaigner for more diversity in the way the media portrays women. And with all of that, she has three children, two dogs, and uh, she runs MWN with her husband, who I think very importantly is the uh, CEO. Well, Mia, how are you? <laughs> I'm exhausted after hearing all that, Sally So am I. <laughs> I'm exhausted too, but anyhow, I'll pick myself up from the floor where I have lain exhausted and uh, just talk to you about um, stress and anxiety and all that sort of thing because in your new book, Work Strife Balance, you write very openly about your own struggle with anxiety. So when did you first realise that you had anxiety? Did you recognise what was happening at the time? did until I sort of it reached a critical point um I suppose a little bit like what you said there there, I I was aware of depression I was familiar with depression and I hadn't really experienced that but 
I wasn't – there was a lot less um, understanding of anxiety in, until I think recent years. And so I didn't have a name for how I actually felt or have felt on and off through most of my life until it was di- got to a critical point, was diagnosed, I started taking medication and it went away. And it was only the absence of something that made me see how pervasive it had been through my life, if that makes sense. Yes, um, but it all came to a head about probably about five years ago where I had an episode of anxiety that was really quite intense and lasted about 10 or 11 days. And um, it, it was triggered by a really funny thing in that I went to a health retreat and I um, dismantled all the things that I had inadvertently or subconsciously, I suppose, done to manage my anxiety in that it took away all my crutches. It took away um, being busy. It took away um, stimulation. It took away um, my routine in many ways. It took away even silly things like cups of tea. And when I was actually at the retreat, it was fine because they keep you very busy at these places and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're going on a walk and you're doing Tai Chi and you, you know, going to a lecture and you're having a massage. But then when I left the retreat after about five or six days, I decided, because it was Christmas, I decided to try to carry on some of those things into my life. And then this also sounds ridiculous, but my computer broke. And so suddenly I was very unmoored and unconnected from the world. Um, You know, this was sort of before smartphones were a huge thing and before I suppose I did as much on my smartphone now it wouldn't be as much of a crisis because I'd still have my my smartphone to occupy me but um so I was on holidays and I, I I had this anxiety attack that was triggered by a little twinge in my side which I immediately self-diagnosed as being ovarian cancer and it sounds so ridiculous now in hindsight no, I know. No, no it doesn't sound a bit ridiculous <laughs> and it, it wasn't until much later or a number of weeks later that I, I was diagnosed with something called somatism which is a type of anxiety where you um it, it's 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 a, it's also sometimes called health anxiety but it's it's basically where you manifest physical symptoms based on a condition that doesn't exist but that it sends you into a into a spiral of anxiety um and it really didn't let up for about 10 or 11 days and um after that point, I went and saw my my regular therapist. I'm a strong believer in therapy and have seen therapists on and off through different periods in my life. And she was the one that, that said, I, I think you've had a nervous breakdown and I think, you know, it's time to go and see someone and, and look at medication. And you did. And I did. I saw a fantastic psychiatrist, a, a lovely man called um, Dr. Ben Teo, and he listened to my story and he said, you know, I think you've – got generalized anxiety disorder and he explained to me what that was and how it manifests and he he explained it to me in terms that that made a lot of sense and he said that you know in an if you think about it as a sort of a chemical malfunction in the brain he said some people a, a person without anxiety disorder would walk down the street and they hear footsteps behind them in a dark street and their their body releases or their brain releases um, adrenaline, um, which is part of fight or flight because they might have to flee danger. But then as those footsteps passed and the brain realized you actually weren't in danger, those th- that release of adrenaline would, would be stopped and you would feel okay. But um, 
when you have a condition like mine, you can be sitting at home in your lounge room having a cup of tea, but your brain is releasing adrenaline and, and, and you know, responses as if you were being chased around your house by someone wielding a knife. Even though there is no physical danger, there's no actual even ephemeral danger, but you feel constantly this feeling of dread or this feeling of panic. We're going to talk in a minute, or I'm going to talk in a minute, about the research that um, QBI is doing um, on the brain and that part of the brain that really makes those things happen. Mm. But I'm just interested, you know, you've got so much going on in your life. You're a successful businesswoman. You've got three children. You've just written this book and you're probably thinking about the next book. Um, You're dealing with a husband. Um, I imagine that your daily life in the ordinary day-to-day sense is pretty phonetic, involves a lot of juggling. And how do you distinguish between ordinary stress and your anxiety? Because I think this is really important for people. Um, I'm stressed, I'm feeling anxious. Is this okay? Is this normal? When does it become abnormal? You've described how it became, how you realised that you had something that was beyond normal and you did something about it. But how do people actually um, say, well, you know, is this the normal stress? I mean, as I remember, you know, when I was young and I'd say to my mother, oh, I'm feeling stressed, and she'd say, yes, 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 you know, you're doing too much, stop doing it, get over it. Um, But now, of course, thank goodness, we're realising that there is a mental condition involved. It's such a good question, Sally-Ann, and I'm often asked that because um, stress I'm fine with. In fact, stress I I quite enjoy, and stress is actually something that's probably almost impossible unless you move to a yurt in Mongolia, um, is possible to, impossible to eliminate from your life altogether, particularly if you're a woman, particularly if you're a woman who works and has children. Um, but anxiety is different. So as you say, I'm, I'm often very busy. I can often be very stressed. I get up and I might have to speak in front of a thousand people. I might have to go on live television. I might have to be sitting here doing this live podcast interview with you. Now, I no longer feel stressed. I I no longer actually feel stressed, and I certainly don't feel anxious about any of those things. Um, I think for me, understanding anxiety was when um, part of it for me was catastrophizing, um, was was believing a terrible thing was going to happen um, or a terrible thing had already happened in terms of I have ovarian cancer when in fact I didn't. Um, so I, I suppose for me anxiety is often something that you can't even attach to something. It's just almost this existential feeling of dread or fear. Now, anxiety can often attach itself to things. So for a long time I was terrified of flying. After I had children I became terrified of flying. Um it can attach itself to to different people, you know, driving or being in tunnels and, and some people have panic attacks. For me, it wasn't that. It was generalized anxiety and it was just this feeling that I would wake up with in the morning and it wasn't attached to anything. I couldn't it's not that I was nervous about a big thing that was happening at work. It wasn't that I was worried about my kids. I mean, all of those things were humming in the background. But um it was a very I don't know what you'd say. There are aspects of stress that can be productive. Like it's normal to feel stressed if you've got to do an interview or give a give a speech or um, you're getting married or you've had something happen in your life, a bad diagnosis or something. Stress is normal and stress is uh, a normal response to things that go on in our lives. But anxiety is is it almost doesn't fit. Um, and I suppose that's when I became aware of the difference. And I know to this day the difference. I can feel stressed. I can feel overwhelmed very easily. But anxiety is different. Anxiety is just, it's just, I can't, it's like this feeling of dread. That's all I can explain, the, the best way I can explain it. 
I think that's 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 a, a good explanation because stress by itself is productive. It's what fires us up to do certain things. Um, it's a bit like I've always thought the um, difference between depression and grief. Um, grief is where there is something real for you to be sorrow grieving about. Depression is when you don't know why you're sad. Um, and it's that whole feeling of just being miserable, but there's no actual cause for it, which is very worrying. Um, something else I did want to ask you is what you find helps your anxiety. I mean, obviously medication, but do you meditate? Um, do you dream about special places? Um, what are the tools? Well, that's that's another great question. Something I realised um, since being diagnosed is that a lot of my life I have uh, set up subconsciously to manage my anxiety. So there are a few things. Routine is crucial for me. I like to do the same thing every day. I like to eat the same foods, certainly for breakfast and lunch every day. Um, I, I have certain things that I do, not in an OCD way, but just I like familiarity. Um, you know, when I travel, I, I carry I, I travel with a certain teacup that I just really like because I like big cups of tea and when you're staying in hotels, they give you little cups of tea. Um, so little things like that. Exercise every day, which I, I used to think was connected to body image issues and I had an eating disorder when I was much, much younger and I thought that it was a hangover from that and perhaps in part it is, but I've since realised that exercise is, is really a crucial tool in managing both anxiety and depression. So that's non-negotiable for me. Um so and sleep getting a lot of sleep is really important and the fourth pillar for me is being busy having a project having something to do and I, I kind of liken it to being a cattle dog and if that cattle dog doesn't have sheep to round up it's going to dig up the garden and that's a little bit like my mind so um this idea of you know being present and not looking at your phone and that's fine and in in moderation but for me completely detaching is not healthy because when I try to do that um for example on holidays um one of the reasons I realize I've always resisted the idea of holidays and I used to have my whole life I've come home early from almost every holiday I've been on is because firstly it's a disruption to my routine but secondly um I like to be busy so now I don't try to completely disconnect from work when I'm on holidays because, or else I have to replace work with something else like diving into a book and consuming myself with that. I always need a project. Um, and and th a lot of it I think is just accepting your, your eccentricities or your quirks as actually being ways to self-soothe and treat um, anxiety. I think it's called self-awareness um, or having insight. Yeah. And I think it's really important. And that, of course, is the, the benefits of talking to somebody um, like a psychiatrist because they can actually say to you, no, well, you're this kind of person. And uh, that's important. One other thing, I'm just going to talk to you, Mia, a little bit about the kind of research that we're doing at, at QBI because I think it's just so exciting. Um, of course, we all know how important the, the brain is. The brain's the most important important organ in your body, it really pretty much determines the functions of absolutely everything else. So at QBI, we, or I should say they, because I'm not actually doing the research, uh, do research into a whole host of things. You mentioned anorexia. Um, that's, that, that's something we've got a, 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 a unit on the science of learning, how kids, how they learn, not so much what they learn. Um, we, we talk about, you know, dementia and successful aging, which of course is something for you to look forward to, my dear. But 
Anxiety. Um, I, I think it's fantastic that anxiety has now been recognised as a proper, if not a disease, um, certainly a disorder, but something that is um, deserving of um, medical attention and research attention. So you've written in your book about having a, a heightened fight or flight response in, in anxiety, but... Um, what we know now and what they're doing the research on out at QBI at St. Lucia is the small region of the brain called the amygdala. I'm going to talk a little bit about the amygdala because it's very important for fear conditioning, which is when you associate something, an incident or an object, with something fearful. So, for example, if you get bitten by a dog when you're a little girl, you might then go through all your life being scared of all dogs, no matter how cute or gentle they are. Fear conditioning um, is actually a good thing because it gives you that classic flight or fight response. Your heart beats faster, your blood pressure increases, your mouth gets dry. And that was very useful a long time ago when we were being chased by dinosaurs or whatever. In humans, the amygdala also gives us cognitive effects like the feelings of dread and despair that Mears described. Anxiety disorder has now been linked to disrupted connections in the amygdala, which affects how it processes fear and anxiety. So this tiny almond-shaped region of the brain is related to anxiety and to post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's very important. Using electrical recordings, imagings and experiments, our QBI researchers have identified some of the key brain circuits involved in anxiety disorders. Our director, Professor Pank Saar's lab, studies the connections in the amygdala. They've discovered the molecules that make up brain receptors in the amygdala, which are potential targets for new anxiety treatment drugs. So that's just a small capsule of what actually is happening out there and I think why the work of QBI is important and we are so grateful, um, Mia, that you're coming on and letting us talk about it and letting people out there know that um, work is being done on a whole host of disorders that perhaps people in the past put up with um, and the fact that you have come out and, uh, and talked about it um, is really very important and we certainly thank you for doing that. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's one of those things that um, I, I wish that I had known more about it when it when it happened to me. And I think that it's it's like so many things in life. There are these all these secret clubs that you don't know exist until you inadvertently join one. And then when you start mentioning it, and when I started confessing, I suppose, or, or confiding might be a better word in in some of the people around me. It was like, oh yes, I've got I've got anxiety, and I take I take medication and. Here's how here's how I handle it, and suddenly I realised there's this huge community of people who are struggling and suffering, often silently, um, with what's a really really common, you know, mental health issue. And and just one last question before I let you go, and I thank you for giving us all your time. Oh, my pleasure. Just how do you describe? An anxiety attack. What does an anxiety attack feel like? You've said it's when you wake up in the morning and you have that feeling of dread um, and it's probably something that during the day you suddenly think, oh, my God, I've definitely got cancer or there's a man about to murder me um, or this car is going to crash into me. But can you just describe what does an anxiety attack feel like? It comes on suddenly? Well, I've only ever had... Uh, you know, I suppose I'd just describe it as an attack. I, I'm not one that gets panic attacks. This is oh, what happened to me that time at Christmas. It was like a prolonged period of anxiety. For me, the experience of anxiety is a combination of panic and 
resigned dread. So panic often, uh, the word panic kind of denotes a frenzy of activity. There's something about anxiety that can be very, very deadening um, because it's 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 almost a certainty. It's it's a fear, but it's a certainty as well that something bad will happen. So, for example, when I used to have uh, anxiety around flying, um, I would be so my body and my brain would react as though the plane had already crashed, um, and I would be so shocked when it landed. <laughs> I would be surprised and delighted. Somebody would have said to you as you were getting on that plane, no, no, this plane is not going to crash. I've flown millions of times before. Um, the pilot's fantastic. Um, but you would still feel anxious about it. Because it's illogical. It's completely illogical. You know, I, I had complete certainty that I had a variant cancer despite not having a single test, not having a scan. Um, my mind sort of went forward to the point where it was all confirmed. Um, and I couldn't even, the other thing that can be really isolating is that I couldn't even express it to my husband because that would somehow make it real. And so people would say, you know, and I know other people with, with stomatism as well, who they go, oh, well, if you're worried that you've got some type of cancer or some type, just go and have a test. And they would be like, I'm too scared to have the test. Um, and, you know, when I was younger, I realized now that I had a period where I was convinced that I had HIV convinced. And I was way too scared to have the test. And I don't think I ever would have had the test, but my, my doctor, when I fell pregnant, sort of one of the routine tests yeah, was HIV. And I think he sort of tested me without me even realizing it. And that was always something in the back of my mind. So none of it is logical. None of it is logical. None of it is rational. Um, and I now, now find also it's very helpful if I'm, because sometimes I still get like, for anxiety. It's important to say that. Um, it's rare, thanks to thanks to Lexapro and, and everything else I do to manage it, but sometimes it still happens. And if I say to my husband, I'm just having a bad day or I've got really bad anxiety at, at the moment, that helps enormously and I can't even tell you why. But just saying it out loud sometimes somehow makes it less overwhelming, that feeling, and less lonely because anxiety is a terribly lonely feeling. Well, it's deep within you, so sharing it with somebody just sort of brings it to the surface a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, and and the monster is less scary when you say it out loud. It just is. Well, Mia, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, we're going to keep you in touch with what we're doing. When they find some sort of breakthroughs and more information, we're going to let you know. You'll be the first. Thanks so much, and it was so lovely talking to you. That was Mia Friedman talking about her anxiety. That's all for this episode. I'm Sally Ann Atkinson. Our podcast was produced by Donna Lou and Jessica McGaw. If you enjoyed this episode, do tell your friends about it. Give us a review on iTunes or let us know what you think on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks for listening, and there'll be lots more to come.